Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Tom, I am in love with Padma and Aviator glasses. Have you ever seen anything more becoming on a human being? (laughs) I can only hope, Kevin, that Nini and her open up a sunglass hut of some sort. is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, it was family cooking this week. Really interesting, really interesting quick fire. I loved this quick fire. I loved this episode. I loved all about it. I had so much fun watching this one. Because, you know, oftentimes the family stuff can be a little saccharine. And it's always nice seeing a more personal side of the chefs, but it doesn't always lend itself to great competition. This did. I loved the... The, the basically the blindfold challenge for all practical purposes. Yeah, lots of lots of dynamics at play. Whether you had chosen, I'm guessing in when you signed up for the show, you kind of filled out a questionnaire of like, you know, who are the closest people in my life, and they pick out these people in your life, they bring them in, and it there there's a lot of things that we'll get into later in the show, but I loved just the communication between their loved one and the chef. And it just seemed like you could, you could tell which competitors really thought about like, how do I communicate? What are the best words? What's the plan of attack here with my, with my uh, partner here. And then to bring them in as the sous chefs later in the show, I love the dynamics. Um, I thought this was an excellent episode, Kevin. Big picture, what's really interesting is there are tiers emerging among the chefs. And, and I've kind of identified three tiers. Tier one, Gregory, Melissa, Kevin. They've been at or near the top. They, they've won most of the competitions. Um, they are, to me, the elite championship contenders, if you will. Then you have the next tier. Eric, Voltaggio, Nini, and I would put Karen in this tier. These are chefs that are cooking well. They have not been on the bottom very frequently. Their best is as good as the top tier. They're just a little less consistent so far. And then I have as my bottom tier right now, Stephanie, Leanne, and Malarkey. Uh, They're not kicking with great confidence. Leanne had a great week, and we're going to talk about that. Um, But but these are, when we often say someone is not long for the competition, these would be the chefs you'd identify as being most vulnerable week to week. How did I do that? You know what, Kevin? I really like your list. I did not like Malarkey's list. He had Gregory way down on his list, which we'll get yeah, what into. What was that? Later I have that note show. too. 
we'll, 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 we'll do would, a malarkey rant bizarre. at some point. Yeah, <laughs> it's our it's our weekly malarkey rant brought to you by uh, Hurley or whatever whatever like broy California. Well, so that, that's that an interesting thing. We will talk about this, but but I thought he was swishy, and then I forgot that there's a particular brand of San Diego like. Bro, that that I didn't, you neither, you and I grew up with because we grew up back east and, and down south. But but that he is that, and I and I mistake it. Um, I I mistake it for gay as a gay man, but uh, it is actually a particular strain of San Diego kind of surf bro. <laughs> like it, it, it's a species, but loud, flamboyant, just in your face. Yeah. This malarkey is. God bless I, I will have wife, to talk about that with our friend Ethan Strauss, who is a La Jolla native and, and probably can speak to this subgenre of swishy, straight San Diego bro. Um, another thing I loved about this episode, Nancy Silverton is back. They do mm-hmm. the quickfire from Osteria Moza, which is part of the Moza Plex at the corner of Highland and Melrose. And, you know, to recap, they each have a family member sitting around a table with one of, I think, three or four entrees. And they have to then describe over the phone to the chef contestant exactly what they have on their plate so that the chef can recreate it. And that is what they're going to be judged on. It's not just the the quality of the dish, but how much it approximates Nancy Silverton's plate as it is presented at Osteria Mozart. I love this idea. The game of telephone brought me back to kindergarten, sitting in a circle and just, you know, whispering in each other's ears. And then you come out with a completely different dish, right? That was apparently uh, a perfect tie into Metro uh, PCS, the, the phone company with this telephone. Usually these things are forced, the the ad product placement in, in the show. This one I felt was just like fit like a glove. I, I love the, the, the conceit. Um, and, I was a little confused and we'll get into this. I was a little confused on the like grading system here on, you know, whether it was a good dish, did it, was it delicious? Whether it was approximate, like what, how closely did it match? Cause it was kind of, it was kind of funky, but I, um, I do think that the, uh, the whole Nancy Silverton, uh, she was dynamite on this episode and I've never been to her restaurant. Have oh, you that, that particular many, one? Many, many times. Um, I like to sit at the okay. cheese bar at Osteria Moza, sort of like the, the bar area. Um, and any of these dishes you remember or are these just on No, the no. I mean they, they they definitely look like Nancy Silverton dishes, but um, I, I don't recall having any of them. What was interesting is of the three, the hanger steak, the yellowtail collar, and, and the pork chop, the hanger steak looked like the easiest pitch to hit. Am I – Way easier. Way easier. Um, yeah, yes. what's interesting is um, – you know, they basically took one winner from each category, right? Like, like Kevin was the pork chop winner in the in the collar division. Melissa won, and Leanne won the 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 the, the hanger steak. And it's, but, but it, can, can I can please, I go on the rant here? Please. Like the soy sauce, that was, that was a clear miss. She put soy sauce in her dish when it was supposed to be balsamic vinegar, and yet she won the dish. I thought there were like three components on that dish that you had to hit: the arugula, the steak, the balsamic vinegar, and maybe as a fourth, the cheese right on top. But I, she botched one of the four components. Yes, but in her defense, Greg uh, Gregory missed the balsamic. Nini missed the balsamic. Leanne missed the balsamic. Um, I don't recall who the fourth um I, I forgot who the fourth hanger okay. steak contestant was but i think they all missed the basalmic so kind of then went to the next okay. thing so yes easiest pitch to hit but also apparently that was the hardest note to nail among any of the three dishes um voltaggio was interesting because his history is a pastry chef you would think um you would that there'd be some help there he creates this beautiful dish that looks nothing like because he mistook uh she mistook halibut for hamachi collar which by the way could not be in set more different families of fish. Like halibut is the flaky, delicate, just velvety, the simplest fish you can get on a menu. And then you have hamachi collar, which is just this 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 thing out of a like that should looks like it should be hanging on someone's wall, right? Like it's a yes. dead thing. And uh, but so that was funny. Um, who else was uniquely useless among the um, among the helpers? Uh, Jen's sister, who thought yellowtail collar was chicken. Which was um, yeah the goofiest thing in the fin, episode. The fin should probably be the tell there, right? Yes, it, There's fins there. Chickens don't have fins, kind of. I mean, they have wings, but that's 
you should be able to tell. Yeah, that. and also I, I would never mistake machi for uh, chicken or poultry of any kind. But that that was a little weird. Kevin's wife was incredible. Like, like you got to get the attorney. It was like watching um, Kim on on Better Call Saul, right? Like she was declarative, she was calm, <laughs> she was amazing. She knew what fennel fronds were. She got the rosemary note. She got the sear. Like it was. It kind of Kevin presented a dish that looked just almost identical and had just even right to the crustiness of the of, of the sear and and uh, the rosemary like they just hit that one out of the park so good I for mean, the lawyer Kevin, wife. Uh, yeah Kevin I feel like before, you know we ask these chefs sometimes when they come on the show how did you prepare for Top Chef do you think he coached her it's like hey there might be a challenge like what if Kevin is that smart what is Kevin is that prepared and that brilliant of a top chef contestant and he's like all right if there's a show an episode where you have to come on we have to get a language we have to get it down because it seemed like they've done this many many times before and Kevin did say in the little vignette hey i think our strongest quality as a couple is our communication and boy did it show you up you know it's funny about Kevin because i think Looking back, I, I don't think he would ever be categorized as, a, as an asshole on a previous season, but I don't think he was warm and cuddly. He is so eminently likable, and I think obviously the backstory helps. Um, he gets truly emotional when he wins these competitions, and I, and I think it's sincere, mm-hmm. and I, I think kind of it all goes to the larger story. So he gets immunity. Leanne! Tom Leanne had a good week. Her mother was kind of hilarious um, in the in the quick fire because um, you always know when you get that there's a little goofy music riff that the Top Chef producers yeah. will put in, and and yeah. while this really stressful challenge is going on, where the chefs are counting on their uh, family members to provide them with every detail, the woman just puts the phone down for a period of time just, just to eat, spaces and out. then because like, yeah, just hey, you still there? Um, so, so that was funny. Um, she had a very good week, uh, Leanne did. And Melissa, again, at the top of her game, uh, was also – she won the collar, uh, the yellowtail collar um, competition and got all the flavor notes. She's cooking up a storm. Is she a robot? She just like she just seems like she's just too good at this. She's incredible. And, you know, she had the closest collar uh, – you know, Leanne, even though she didn't have the the balsamic, like you said, the dish itself really stood out because of the umami of the soy sauce. And Kevin with the pork, um, Melissa is just on fire. And I mean, she, she's got to be in that top tier. I think when you do these tiers, like you said, uh, I think I th- Eric, the fact that Eric has been high on the top three for three weeks in a row, I kind of feel like he might deserve to be in that top tier. But then you just look at what Melissa and Gregory and Kevin are doing here, and it's clear that they are just a little bit apart from Voltaggio. And yeah, and, and look, Eric's coming. But I think right now those 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 top three are sort of playing. Melissa's interesting because she, she is to me like the 2018 Milwaukee Bucks, right? The promise and talent was there, and they just made this jump. And, and, and when you watch them play, it was like, how are they ever just a seven seed? Right. Like, and, and Kev, I, I mean, yeah. she is just, it, it is, it is a completely different chef, uh, though she acquitted herself well in, in, in her first season on the, on the show, but the jump is incredible. So we have a couple different roles here with the loved ones. You know, one's a pastry chef, one's a scientist, one's an attorney, one's a family friend, Tiffany, Melissa's family friend. Uh, Malarkey says, it's my wife, but this might as well be a marriage counseling session. Uh, you have Jen with a sister, uh, Leanne and Nini with their moms, uh, Steph with I actually wrote this down. It was her brother, but it's actually her husband. I apologize on that. Then uh, Gregory with his mom. I'm curious, uh, Kevin, who in your life do you think if you had to phone a friend for a Top Chef competition where you had to do a telephone and be the sous chef, who in your life? This is really easy. My oldest, bestest, like bosom buddy, high school friend, like living in ghost world. Uh, is my friend Kelly Alexander, who lives in Chapel Hill. She is a Beard Award-winning food journalist, uh, was an editor um, at, at Food & Wine for a long time. Uh, I think I think won a Beard Award for a piece of – maybe – I forget what it was in uh, Savoir or, or Food & Wine, one of those two. Uh, and she can cook up a storm, and we obviously communicate well together. So it's a really easy, easy ship. Um, my grandmother, who passed away last year at the age of 101 – would have been amazing because she was just, she was like fantastic in the kitchen and kind of, and she, she actually reminded me a little, like she's like the Southern Jewish version of Gregory's mother. She was just elegant and, and, and 
like inflappable, like and just completely like poised in the kitchen and just knew her way around. And there was never stress. It didn't matter if we had like 40 people for Russia Shunner or something. Like she was just, she's good, you know? And she would have been, if this were like 15, 20 years ago, but obviously she passed, but Kelly would be my choice. What about you? Yeah. Me, I think Allison, my wife would be, she's, she's the cook in the family. She, she cooks every night and I would obviously like to pick her number one. That feels like cheating, picking your spouse. So I'm going to go with my brother, my oldest brother, Chuck. We have a, like the reason why I do that is because we have a communication. We've always been these kindred spirits where I know exactly what he's thinking. I know that I can rely on him, the work ethic, he's going to be on top of it. And I feel like those three qualities uh, you know, work ethic, knowing that they're just going to bust their tail for you Two, that you can communicate and three, that they have some, some cooking talent. So we've, I think those three qualities are the, the biggest thing for this is that, you know, that they're going to work hard, you know, that they're going to be able to communicate and they got some skill. So it sounds like you've got some, uh, a, a Rolodex of call, uh, call a friend, um, on your, on your, uh, on your side over there. So that, that was, I love this quick fire. And, uh, then it just kind of, Kevin Kevin wins his third quick fire of the season in episode one he he won the team quick fire he won episode three and in episode five so he is the Gregory of this episode of this season he's got three out of the five quick fire wins wow he's good he's really good he is it is why he is part of the the triumvirate right now at the at the top uh, in the top tier. Elimination is interesting. They're going to prepare a, basically a consumer product, something that is like your line of whatever. Is it a sauce? Is it a condiment? Uh, is it something? And they have to do it in a food fair situation. And um, what's, what, what I found fascinating was that you're starting to see the strengths and weaknesses of the chefs come through. It, it's hard to find a pattern until you're about five or six episodes into this show. And, and as an example, I would say Stephanie. Uh, she once again finished on the bottom and you're starting to see a pattern in her failures. There's just, she, she cooks a great plate. Like you're doing a, you know, bring one plate for six judges. She's fine, but she just does not have the finesse or sophistication or really the imagination in these large venue food festival uh, contexts, right? And she's a private, she's a private chef, right? Like that's her thing. And so what do you get? You get Indian nachos. What do you get? You get a chili base that's basically a marinara sauce. In the dish itself, bean chili with some pickled and green onions. You know, you make the homemade oyster crackers. I mean, that provides some sort of uh, resourcefulness. Um, but the problem is there's just too much interesting food in the competition. And her food too often is not interesting enough. Um, and make something for 200 clearly freaks her out. And I just wonder, we're probably going to have a food truck competition. It's a big food truck city. We're going to have another, you know, because every once in a while it's, it's cooked for 200 people and it's clearly a place she is not comfortable. And you're starting to see patterns in various competitors and you notice in malarkey and also on the, on the upside too. But to me, Stephanie is somebody I'm a little uh, on my team. I think she's vulnerable, but then again, if we can just get her back to a smaller venue, I think she's okay, but she is she is trouble in these food festival uh, venues. And here's another trouble person on this show, Brian Malarkey. Oh, okay, you're starting to see that he. You know what? It's it's funny he made an oil based dish here because I kind of feel like he's a snake oil salesman. This guy. Every episode that he comes on, he just aggravates me. Aggravates me. Something about him, the way he talks a huge game about his dish to overcompensate his lack of imagination or lack of execution. It's it's insane. Like when he goes in and he's talking a big game about this uh this I mean, I don't even know a fennel a fennel like pet pe- was it a pesto a salsa? A relish. And it was always a relish, sorry. And he's and he's talking up a big game. And then he's like, I don't know what his ranking system is all about, but I wrote this down, Kevin. Here, here's Malarkey who's talking up a big game about, you know, that he deserves to be at the top. I like confidence. Every Steph Curry thinks he's the best player in the world. Every just about every NBA player, all 450 of them think they're the best player in the world. That confidence drives them. That makes them as good as they are, right? But Malarkey puts himself, and here's the ranking, Kevin. Malarkey at number one. 
says, obviously, I'm here. I think I'm the best, okay? Then he ranks Kevin number two, Brian number three, Melissa, Karen, Jen. And you might be wondering to yourself, people listening at home, did he forget about Gregory? Nope, right here on number seven on his list. He has Gregory right after Jen, then Nini, then Eric, Steph, and Leanne. Kevin, did he just like throw darts at a dartboard and create this list? I mean, where do I start? What the hell is he doing? Fennel, tomato, citrus, chili, wrestle? Is it, was it fresh? Was it a salsa? Was it a dressing? Was it a relish? Was it a sauce? Was it a condiment? No I knows. still cannot tell you exactly what it is. And if we can't tell you, chances are the consumers can't tell you. The judges couldn't tell you. You know, you know what's funny? The swordfish with a charred lemon seemed to be pretty good, and he made it to order, which is really impressive. But again, it's the too clever by half. He's a decent cook, but stop trying to conceptualize food and just start making it. And for God's sakes, just stop selling it. Nobody here needs to hear that your food is amazing. You know, as you talked about, the rankings are terrible. This is a man whose perceptions and instincts are such a departure from reality. He is like the David Brent of Top Chef. Look, I know it's shtick <laughs> and I get it. Because look, let's face it, Tom, how else are you going to get on an all-star Top Chef when, let's face it, 12 years ago, you finished fourth with five low finishes and a single win. So I get the shtick. He needs the shtick. Otherwise, he really doesn't belong there. But I've just had enough. I'm exhausted. Can you imagine how exhausted his wife is? <laughs> I know. She looked exhausted. She looked so exhausted. Just like and, – and you know what? It works for Malarkey because he has gotten probably the most face time in these like confessionals than probably any of the chefs here. He's entertaining from that standpoint that you're watching a, a car wreck. This is one of those instances where I'm like, what it, it, it does kind of it it does make sense on some level that he ranks someone like Gregory, who's the LeBron James of this competition, at seven because it, it kind of distills the fact that he doesn't have a good sense of what's good on this show. You know what he is? He doesn't. He's Skip Bayless. <laughs> he looks kind of like Skip like, Bayless. It sounds like Skip. Um, other really interesting choices on this day. I mean, so so Voltaggio. So Voltaggio is is also interesting because he's a little too high concept. Uh, he is an incredible chef, and I think plate for plate, he's as good as anybody. His weakness yes. is that he doesn't have a populist streak. So I would love that squid bolognese. I'm a weirdo. Kale and nori pasta mm. is so smart. I mean, I I couldn't. I would love that dish. Everything is smart, but he's never going to be the guy who speaks to the masses, and that's okay. But you're not going to go anywhere in this in the hey, you know. Right. Everyone put a ticket in for your favorite. I mean, it was it was telling that Melissa actually won the. She was the fan favorite, though she didn't finish in the top three in, in terms of of the actual dish. Not that it, it was bad, but I, I thought that that was a little telling about the competition. Um, I had such a fun week for Eric. I, I loved watching Eric. You know, Gail said. It was a happy place challenge for him because of his wife. But I also think it was a happy place challenge for him because he is so good at challenges that call for a singular bite that is a great yes. vehicle for the flavors he loves. Do you remember the fufu plantain dumpling with that deep red sauce mm -hmm. and the Muhammad Ali benefit? Do you remember, Tom, the drumette at Rupp Arena? Do you remember the little oyster in Mininette? He is – the calypso sauce in this in – this, Double, which a double is amazing because it's like a flatbread pouch filled with curried chickpeas that's kind of roti, but roti like, but smaller. It's Trinidadian. You throw some pancetta in there, you give it some smoke, probably. It's just brilliant. Like, there are certain challenges where Eric is just so in his comfort zone. I love watching him cook in those challenges. And it's unlike any other dish on the menu. So like he sets himself apart. He is speaking to his bones when he makes every one of these dishes. You can you can feel his heritage popping onto the plate. Then you see, you know, I, the charming just watching his wife come in and he's just like, look at her fine ass, completely stunning. And I'm just like laughing. Just this dude just has no filter when it comes to his wife. It's just great. It's great to see them working together on this. And what you see is, you know, this episode, this particular challenge, Kevin was top chef meets shark tank. And what we found out is that 
Eric and his wife have done business together, you know, working on restaurant concepts, uh, pop-up concepts together. And it really showed in this episode that they had all 360 planned out in this, Eric and his wife. Um, it was very clear that he was going to finish in the top 10 from the get- – or the top three in the get-go. I was very happy to see Nini kind of seeing her on top. I, I am I, – I think she is a storm brewing. She has not done much of a clunker this season and – she did this smart braised pork rib. Um, Nook Mom is a wonderful. You ever, you ever go to like um, you know a Vietnamese restaurant? They give you that like shallow little dish of it's kind of a sweet fish sauce. Maybe got a little, a little uh, julienne of carrots or a, a root in there. Um, maybe mm. a, a touch of lime. It's like a barbecue sauce. No, no, it's right? more of like or a like dipping it's... kind of a clear, almost translucent dipping sauce. Um, okay. And I just like the idea of that on ribs and, and Gail Simmons talked about it. it was kind of pungent, but it was a little sweet and a little spicy. Um, I was so happy to see her. I still think she is. There's really good stuff ahead for Nini. I think as the as the field narrows, she's going to be a force. Really happy. She 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 dropped into the top three. Um, just a good week for her. And uh, who else did you find interesting this week? Uh, the chicken and wa- waffles. You know, I think one of the things that you have to do in this in this competition is the populist, right? You have to go with the populist dish: chicken and waffles, uh, ch- uh, chicken wings, the the flatbread pouch, which just seems like something you would want if you're hungover and you just want some really, really good, tasty, salty, heavy stuff. And and I think they nailed it. Um, you know, Kevin with the hot Lana salt. It seemed like he knew what he wanted to do. But the thing that, you know, when you, when you look at the shelves at a grocery store, you want to differentiate yourself, right? I feel like the Calypso hot sauce from, uh, from Eric differentiates well, it's, it's also beautiful it's in the bottle, like, like that yes. color. And there is something eye catching about it. You know, you look at a, a tomato sauce, you've seen that, but like that aren't, you don't see that color in food all that much. And it just was gorgeous to look at in a bottle. I loved when it was – I think it was Nancy Silverton, uh, Malarkey's malarketing, he said. Oh, God. He said malarketing. Can you believe this shit? All right. Sorry. But Brian Malarkey, when he served up this dish, yeah, she goes, kept saying it was fresh doesn't mean it's fresh. And I'm like, yes, that's malarkey in a nutshell is just because you say it's fresh does not make it so. And that's him in a nutshell. I thought Kevin did a good dish. Uh, yes, yeah, so given Jen the surprise, talk, the reactions of the judges, I was a little surprised he didn't end up in the top three. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm with you. Um, so, and, and she, I th- I th- one of the one of the commentators said uh, it tasted southern, but not cliche. And I think that's what you got to hit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's easy. Southern food can be low hanging fruit um, at times, and he never does that. And I, and I really appreciate that as an Atlantan. Leanne had a good week. We've talked about um, also a great story. You know, her mom, uh, you know, fainted, just just was not feeling well, and everybody kicks in. Oh. Like Stephanie's husband kicks in to help her finish her prep. Other chefs. Uh, she picks a really great condiment, like a really not a condiment, a sauce, um, Mapo sauce, which is. Like from Chengdu, it's it's got you like Szechuan peppercorns, a little bean paste. It's a little too hot for me. Um, she does this shrimp tofu shiitake dumpling. Tom loves originality, and and you can see it again. I think given that it's an all star season, it's just he's not going to tolerate anything that isn't out of the box. He really appreciated it. She didn't end up on the top, but I got the sense she was a strong four or five with Kevin. Uh, it was good to see her have a good week because she's she's just really likable. I mean, she's a mess sometimes, but she's um, she, she's incredibly likable. Let's talk about Jen. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep. Free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. 
You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not gonna find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hello, listener. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that we at Cinephobe love our pets. Zach and Boogie are inseparable. I've got two cats and a dog. And Amin is giving his best ass on performance to convince dog owners that he loves their pet. Hey, Noodle. Hey, boy. How you doing? And Noodle's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Which is why today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. For many pet parents, summer is all about making travel plans like adventuring through the national parks, visiting pet-friendly beaches, or road tripping across the country. Wherever your journeys take you and your furry friend, you can help protect them along the way with the plan from ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for your eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash dings. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. So Jen comes in with a lemon ginger sauce, love sauce as she calls it. Uh, She named it Sunny after her other sister who was not on the show today or on, on the episode. And what really did her in was the fact that she did not strain her ginger and it became chunky and the texture was terrible as I think it was Tom who said it. And Nancy Silverton, I believe she said it didn't eat sunny. So the idea of the sunny, it was lemony. It was supposed to be bright, but it wasn't supposed to be sunny in taste. It was sunny because that's the name of his, her sister, but it just didn't work. And it seemed like, Jen's personal preference took a larger priority than just thinking this through, right? The the chunky ginger. Yeah, I mean, so you like chunks of ginger. I think that's great. You like lemon pulp. That's great. But it, this is a dish for public consumption. You know, like, so right. Tom, like, I like my chicken undercooked to the point of tartare. It's just a weird thing I like. I just really like kind of sashimi chicken. I mean, it's, I'm going to get killed one day. But, um, but I'm not going to serve that to guests when they come over. And you know, Nancy Silverton also noticed, and it's hard because we can't taste the food, obviously, but I love yogurt and I like yogurty consistency. But if I'm doing lemon and ginger, you got that pucker, you know, ginger has this sharpness to it. And I just feel like yogurt is something to, to combine it. You sort of, you, you, you want not water down, but you kind of cream down and you de-emphasize the, that sharpness and that tartness. It's a little bit muted. Right. And right? then, you know, I mean, as Tom said, you, you got to strain that stuff. I mean, look, you like chunks of ginger. That's fine. It, but it, nobody else does. And and it's going to do. And, and she knew that. I mean, if she was back in the, you know, when they were waiting for the judges to call him out, she kind of, you know, she kind of knew um, that she had, as you said, put personal preference over sort of uh, public consumption. Kevin, how did Malarkey not get kicked off? Um, like Jen's Jen's cardinal sin here is that she had the chunky ginger, but I also when they were talking about Malarkey's dish, I was like, yeah, I hate when I have to have that like oily 
first half of the Italian dressing or like any sort of oil that has a lot of herbs and essences at the bottom that you have to shake up. And then by the time you shake it up, you have to quickly pour it out or else you're going to get all oil. Like that, that is a pet peeve of mine, which just so happens to be a pet peeve of mine on the show. It Brian Malarkey. So maybe it, this is one of those cases that we don't taste the food. So we can't really judge at the end of the day, but I just felt like this was going to be Brian's out. Brian Malarkey's well, out. I, look, in his defense, and and I haven't defended him much, you get the sense that his errors are conceptual. Like his food tastes good. The tomato and burrata tasted good. Uh, the swordfish, Padma said, was a really good piece of fish. So it's all conceptual. It just – he confuses it with – you know, it, I mean it's like – you know, you read a piece of writing that, that there, there's good substance, there's good reporting, and there's just too much voice. Um, you know, stop trying to show off. And I think that's the issue, whereas it seemed as if Jen's thing didn't taste good. It just and, – and that's the thing Malarkey has going yeah. for him is when you're a conceptual mistake maker, you're often going to have food that tastes good. So early in a competition when there are 12 other chefs, there's always going to be somebody who turns in a real clunker in so far as it isn't good. So you'll have your error. You'll end up on the bottom three where he commonly is. You'll get nick, you know, you'll get dinged for various just too clever by half or muddledness or I didn't know what it was. But at the end of the day, you're not going to go home because the the food actually tastes decent. And I think that's where he's skating by. Yeah. I don't like swordfish. So when they put me, when he makes the swordfish dish and I'm not just trying to find things to complain about with malarkey, I just, I, I had also had a question here, Kevin, was the dish, the, the, what they were judged upon, or was it a com- combination of sales plus the dish? Or was it a combination of sales plus what they liked about the product plus the dish? Was it all three of those variables? Yeah, I got the sense that it was a hybrid. Like it was interesting that Melissa didn't, even though she was by far the fan favorite, she didn't get the nod to the, to the top three because well, they had she had a her Korean fried chicken was similar to Kevin's chicken and waffles, and he kind of won based on the quality of the dish, even though there was wide acknowledgement that she had the best product, right? Like that, but yeah, that yeah. peach kimchi so sauce is just a better. So I think at the end of the day, the quality I think it was like does the the quality of the dish combine? I think it is sort of an. They know it when they see it, though it's hard to quantify. Was that 33% of your grade? Was attention yeah. to marketing? Um, I think they cl- – Because it seemed like she was the runaway favorite in this. I was like, wow, Melissa really won this episode. And then I find out not only did she not win, she wasn't even in the top three. And not only was it she not in the top three, she wasn't even the top four because – we know that she didn't have a better dish than Kevin. They said Kevin had this superior chicken dish. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, what is the – did they really hate her dish to not even have it – like the fact that if you're doing an average of the group uh, of the people, the sales plus your dish, I just thought that Nini was – I mean uh, uh, Melissa would be in the top, but she wasn't. So I was a little oh. confused on that end. But you know what? Nini, Nini finishes in the top three. Eric does as well and Gregory – uh, in the top three, and and they really liked uh, a few other dishes too. But those were. Yeah, the I mean, top let's three. talk about Gregory. I mean, not only did we love his mom, um, he just he's so good at this game. He he takes this nice little risk, which is, you know, pickled things. Are, it, those are easy to do well. They're hard to do really, 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 really well. So you get this pickles. It's a, you know Haitian kind of pickled peppers, pickled roots. It's a gorgeous jar. Um, he doesn't overthink the protein, right? Like this is classic Gregory. I'm going to do a chicken with three contrasting flavors, black pepper, thyme, and clove, a little spice, a little sweet, you know, a little herbaceousness, and that's it. Malarkey could learn a thing or two from this guy, right? I love Gregory's yeah. game. He knows then that the richness of the entree will be a great canvas for that vinegariness of the pickles, And his instincts are just so good. It's never too much. It's never too little. He never, you know, it's like one of these guys, he never gets too high, never gets too low in, in, in what could be an emotional competition. 
Yeah. He's so even. That's right. There's so much. He's, I love so his confidence, game. like muted confidence. He's not malarkey. He's not outwardly confident. He just knows what he's doing and it's and it's good food. And Kevin, they mentioned it on this episode and I think it's important to know that whenever you buy these products, you want it to brighten up or accentuate your dish. You want it to pop right on your dish. Whatever you're making it with, you want it to just sing on the plate. That's what Gregory's dish, this product was, is that if I had told you, Kevin, that someone's going to have uh, a bunch of pickled veggies and a chicken dish, and that's going to be the winner, it would blow your mind. It would blow, if, if I just said chicken plus pickled veggies, you'd be like, really? Someone came in with that? But not only did someone come with it, it was Gregory, and he won the whole thing. So I thought it was interesting. You had um, – you had uh, Gregory with the chicken. Also, Kevin did well with their chicken. Nini did well with their chicken. Um, and in a popular, and when you're trying to please a whole crowd, it makes sense to do fried chicken. But the fact that Gregory did a, a chicken dish that with a product with which seemed like uh, you know it's it's pickled veggies and the sauce with it. Obviously, the pickles is, is going to be the 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 main uh, uh, main character there, but. Alone, if I had just put it on a menu and said chicken and pickled veggies, you're, I don't think that's the first thing you're going to order off a menu. No, there's actually – what's interesting about his dishes is you don't often – he doesn't always have the most tempting plate. You know it's yes. going to be a solid entree. It's going to eat well, but you never are like, wow, and yet it always tastes wow according to the judges. Question for you, Tom. 0.5 over under. The number of bottom finishes Gregory will have in non-team competitions the rest of the way. Elimination. I mean, we've got like eight more mm-hmm. episodes or so. Is he going to finish in the bottom three? I, I mean, I can't say yes. I don't think so. I mean, his high, his floor is so high. I mean, maybe when we get to like five contestants, it's like, you know, the, that two bottom, two top business. Yeah. But even then, I, I just, the consistency is so there. Uh, Melissa's in the same boat. Kevin takes a few. He's a little bit of a cowboy. You know, he's a guy who I can see fishing, you know. <laughs> well, when he got uh, immunity right. last episode. Or, yeah. But but those two in terms of consistency and also, I mean, just Gregory's he's a machine. He is a robot. He is uh, – the, the food is so good. So, I mean, you know, that, that's that's basically where we are. I mean, I'll, I'll speak to Karen. Um, you know, she she didn't have her uh, – her Romesco didn't have that nuttiness and that texture that you like it to have or, you know, sometimes I'll sit at the, I'll sit at the refrigerator and eat it out of the jar because it's just so good. <laughs> um, yeah. I also want to note that we got our first gay cutaway of the season. It is a trope and convention of Top Chef that when they go to these little food fair kind of events, invariably they will cut away to gays eating and complimenting food um, in a gayish way. And, I, and, and we the gays are excited. I was waiting. It's been like five weeks and there hasn't really been a gay gay cutaway. And, and we finally got one. So thank you, Top Chef. Um, it's a convention I love. Uh, Eric and I laughed when we were watching it because um, it's like finally it's it's you know you got to cut to the gaze at the at the food fair. That's that's what you're supposed to do at Top Chef. It's amazing. Uh, if you're holding your breath, you can exhale. It has finally arrived, Kevin. I wanted to ask you just to go back to the quick fire real quick. I had some thoughts here. You know, I kind of feel like there's got to be some cheating going on. When you're looking over and you got you got your hanger steak and you can't fi- quite figure out what the what the the uh, leafy green you didn't is. Nini do that? Yeah, I kind of feel like this episode you just you just gotta look over your shoulder. You a copy little bit. off the, the other was, student's paper. Yeah, you, you you copy off the student's paper where you know that they're gonna get the right answer. Like if you're if you're looking over at Kevin and Kevin, you gotta pick up on the whoever is just like boom 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 putting things on a plate. You figure out which contestant has it together that's machine like, and you just copy that dish. You know, I I thought that that was really interesting. They get the ten thousand dollars for for winning that that uh, episode, the quick fire, and I. There's so many elements to that quick fire that I loved. And uh, I love the little editing on that where they did like um, when you got the component wrong or the ingredient wrong, they they the little red. highlighted that, yeah. that the little red font. I love that about it. 
Um, if I was going to show someone why they need to watch Top Chef, I think this quick fire would be a great candidate for them because it it, ju- it hits all the right notes. It was great competition, and I and I love the interaction. It was great to see that Leanne Wong's um, mother came back, and, and and it seemed like it was just a a little scare there. It was awesome to see you know Steph go back and say, Hey, to, to her husband, you know, go help her out. I'm good. It was, it was just a little slice of humanity there. That was really nice. Um, and then the other thing is in that quick fire, Kevin, are you going to be whispering into the phone? Or are you going to be loud trying to be like, I think I kind of hold the mic up to my, be like, um, do you think it's peppercorns or do you think it's a uh, salt? Like how much I mean, that, that I just love the game, the, the, Gamesmanship. No, I think it's all hands on deck. I mean, I'm yelling into that phone. I'm probably stressed out. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen that way. Um, you want to talk about Quickfire for a minute? Uh, last Chance oh, I'm Kitchen? Sorry. That's what I meant. Last Chance Kitchen. Yeah, last, can- last Chance Kitchen with Jen, um, Jen and Lisa. Uh, so she keeps saying, Jen keeps saying, like, I'm like Rocky. I'm, I, I keep coming back. I keep coming back. And Tom Colicchio steps into the kitchen. He's doing a ribeye, a big, thick ribeye, which was very funny because – so the conceit is that he's going to cook the protein. They have to do a sauce, and when he's done, he, that's the time up. There's no clock. When that Once that ribeye has rested and it's ready to be sauced, that is when time is up. So, of course, the chefs want the thickest cut of meat, and he goes to the fridge, and I, I thought this was hilarious. It's kind of like chef humor. It's like, I'll do the shabu-shabu, which, of course, is paper thin. Like, you can cook a piece of shabu-shabu <laughs> yeah. in 11 seconds. Yeah. So Dips it in and yeah, dips it out. That yeah. was fun. Um, it was also a very interesting contrast between the two chefs. I mean, Jen is a much more classical cook. She had a she knew what she wanted to do, and this was going to be a sauce that she was going to build. And then you have Lisa, a much more improvisational chef, um, much more coaches by the gut rather than by the head. And she's just kind of on the fly, like as time expires, like, yeah, I'll throw in a little of this, I'll throw in a little of that. I mean, yeah. much more of a creative, I don't want to say creative to suggest that Jen isn't creative, but somebody more comfortable in improvising in the moment and not knowing where she's going to end up. In the in the great Myers-Briggs pseudoscience, I love Myers-Briggs, she <laughs> is a P and Jen is a J. And I'm a J, so I, I can kind of relate to Jen. What ultimately happens though, Tom, is and you saw it coming. Like that sauce was thin and it wasn't thickening enough. You need more mm-hmm. time for that steam to pile off for that for that sauce to get thicker and thicker and thicker. And when it got time to serve it, it was still thin. And nobody likes a thin sauce on their steak. Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like uh Lisa, if you're writing an article and you just have the bones of the article, uh the stat like for me, I just write a bunch of stats and kind of bring it together, have some connective tissue, but it doesn't have a lot of connective tissue. Whereas someone else might have just way too many words and then you know try to condense it down on their final draft. Seemed like Jen was filing a lot of words, wanting to get all her thoughts and exposition into the story and then whittle it down into the best 1,000 words. Whereas I think Lisa was like, here's 500 words. Let's try to build it up into a story. And that was what she, I think she went with is she went under rather than over. And I, I was afraid that she was just – Lisa was just going to add ingredients and just get muddled and confusing and why why this and why that. But it turned out to be the winning dish. And I was kind of bummed out to see Jen go home because I think she she has more to offer. Yeah. She had actually had a pretty good season until then. In fact, um, you know, I think back to the trade offer and I think we both thought I was an idiot. And it turns out you never know who's going home. So um, we meanwhile, I still lost ground this week because Gregory is a juggernaut. And when he's not a juggernaut, Melissa is a juggernaut. And I just don't have enough people who are getting enough top three finishes or wins for that matter. Nina, Nini feels like she's going to get a win here soon. Yeah. She just feels primed to get a win. Yeah. I'm a little nervous about you know Karen. And, and it might just be that she's also not a great – I mean she's a restaurateur, but she's not a great food fair cook. But um, – I'm a little concerned. I mean, Stephanie, I'm obviously extremely concerned about. I, I just don't think there's a lot of confidence there right now. And you yes. got to have some of that. And, and look, Eric's had a couple. Eric strung together three good weeks. And, you know, he's got – I will give Stephanie this though. She's got a great – she's got a, a lot of quotables. 
like the cutaways where she's just like, fuck my life. Like, it's great. I love Stephanie's little quips that she has in this show. So she might not be, you know, performing up to her best in terms of the dishes, but I, I love the little quips that she has. I also think Voltaggio is a chef who benefits from a narrower field. I think he's a guy that a lot of these food fair, eh, not really his thing. I mean, a, a little bit like Stephanie, but as the, I think as the challenges get more conventional, he will be strong. I, as he's cooking well, he's not making a lot of errors unless he's talking to his wife who's trying to visual, help him visualize <laughs> a dish. And But I'm kind of waiting for the Voltaggio breakout. Like to me, he – we're starting to see Eric come on. Brian and the Voltaggio and Nini win to me are sort of lurking in, in, in the back. And I do think we got a hint of, 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 of Nini this week. Yeah. Closing thoughts? Yeah. Voltaggio, yeah, Voltaggio, just on that note, I kind of feel like he's LeBron in the regular season. Maybe not this regular season, but traditionally LeBron James just kind of coasts. Yeah. And then right when it gets to like conference finals time, you see him turn it up a notch and you're like, oh yeah, LeBron James. I feel like Voltaggio is just lurking. And like you said, as long as he gets to the final four or five, he's going to step on it. And I think that's going to be interesting to watch here because I, I think Nini, Nini is prime. I think Voltaggio is prime. And Melissa and Gregory and Eric and Kevin are just consistently great every yeah. week. Tom, any closing thoughts here? Um, you know, I don't have. Uh, let me just do the final tally on the on the scoring system here. We've got um, fantasy top chef. Pack your knives. Team Tom is now at ninety seven points. Team Kevin at 62. I had 18 points this week. You had 12. We had some clunkers this this week. Um, Jen Carroll gets the big minus six, the double out, which uh, Jamie Lynch had earlier this year, and so did a Angela with the double out sent home to Last Chance Kitchen. Uh, but you know what, Kevin? Lisa redeems herself in some small way. Just chipping away, making sure that Team Tom doesn't get too many negative points here. She's a negative 10 for me right now after I paid six bucks to get her on my team and she collects one back uh, on the ledger. So right now, 97 to 62. You need a big couple weeks here before we get to the home stretch. But I'm really, really excited about what Yep, and I, my closing thought is it's about to get interesting, Tom. Not only do we have a last chance kitchen Victor going back into the competition, but we have double elimination next week. The entire landscape of the competition is about to be shaken under our feet. It is going to be good. We do know from the preview that I believe me, um, I believe Leanne and Brian Malarkey are partners, and that is comedy. Oh my goodness. I can't wait. Yes. I can't wait. It's a double elimination. A last chance kitchen re-enters the competition. This is going to be a ridiculous week next week, Thursday night. Can't wait. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Back Your Knives. Back Your Knives.